fun. It's fun. If you're a note taker, the notes are right before you there. Or it's on the app. You can take the notes there. If you're not a note taker, then don't take notes. No big deal. Um, If you're an old traditionalist and you don't want to write in your Bible, write in your Bible anyway. Underline stuff. Make some notes so that you can remember later. So we are finishing up today our series titled A Better Way. And this began as we... uh, as we looked at what would God have us do, how would he have us live, and Jesus has a better way for us to live. And it's not just that he has set eternity for us, because he has, that when we die or when he comes back, we get to go into his kingdom, his paradise forever, that's awesome, but also there's a better way to live right now that he has for us. And we began this series looking at Jesus' invitation where he said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that sounds really good, right? Rest. We want rest. And we've said it this way. We want his joy and his peace and his purpose despite circumstances. If our our well-being, if our peace and our joy is dependent on circumstances, there's something wrong. Because the life that God has given us, the better way, isn't dependent on circumstances because it's not dependent on you. It's dependent on him. And so we begin by coming to him. We saw first, come to Jesus, draw near. He said, draw near to me and learn from me. So we come close to him. And then this better way, this path that God has for us to live is one where we listen to him. God wants to speak directly to you and he wants to speak to us corporately. And how does he do it primarily? He does it through his word. And so we looked at that. Are we going to his word expecting to hear from God? Have we put it on our calendar, our daily schedule to meet with God to listen? So we go to his word, we hear that's part of God's better way. And then the third week, we looked at community. God's better way is for us to do life together, community. We're not supposed to do it alone. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. We're meant to be part of a community, and we talked about outpost groups. We have those two weeks left of outpost groups, but we'll be doing some stuff through the summer to uh, continue to connect. But in community, and then last week, we looked at really what is our ambition to be, You know, where's our heart set? And where Jesus said, he said, seek first my kingdom and all these things will be added to you. We we stress over life. It was titled The Cure for Anxiety. So if you weren't here last week and you are anxious, go listen to that podcast, The Cure for Anxiety. And it's that we stop seeking all the things. And by seeking, it means giving our life over to, seeking hard, thinking about, you know, waking up. This is all we think about money or food or clothes. Jesus said, your father who loves you knows you need those things. He'll give you what you need, but seek first his kingdom and you'll get the rest. And so there's kind of a paradigm shift where we stop looking at our life first and we focus on his kingdom first. And now today we're going to finish with this. The title is Engage the Mission. Engage the Mission. And I really thought that this would be wrapped up in last week's, but as I prepared last week's, God really said, no, you need to hit this one on its own. (laughs) This is a big deal because... So many people miss out on his better way by leaving this part out. And I think most American Christians, and as I look at my life in many portions of it, this part has been left out, and I have missed out, and the kingdom has missed out, and we don't want to miss out. So this was predicated on on my thoughts, and Callie as well as we, we talk, and maybe you've experienced this. I've had periods in my life where I was attending church, where I was serving, you know, whether it be in Sunday school or uh, adult Bible study, I was serving, I was giving, I was doing all these things, but yet there was still part of me that went, is this it? <laughs> is, this, is this really it? Have you ever had that? You're, you're, 
being obedient, you believe, you are pursuing God, but there's part of you that just goes, really? That's it? That's kind of boring. <laughs> church is kind of boring. So we go on Sunday and we do the church thing and there's got to be more. And I think for most of us, for a lot of us, that feeling is probably the Holy Spirit. <laughs> probably the Holy Spirit in you prompting with this gentle whisper, yeah, there is more. I've made you for more. As you get to know God, as you go to Scripture, you'll find out He has a plan for you. He has made you in His image, and He has given you gifts and abilities and passions and desires to be used for Him. And if we're not using Him, if we're not engaging in His mission, we're missing out. And so I want you to turn with me. We're going to be in Luke 4. Luke 4, it's page 594 if you're in one of these Bibles. Anybody need a Bible? Raise your hand if you need a Bible. No? Page 594, Luke chapter 4. And what we're going to see is that this better way, this Christian life, isn't just being good, because that's boring. Only the good die young, right? I think there's a song about that. It's not just about doing Christian things, <laughs> being part of a small group, which is a great thing, but it's not just about doing these things. But what we've been talking about what we've been going over over and over for months is that really the Christian life isn't what you do for God. The Christian life is what God does in and through you. It's not us trying really hard to do good things, Christian things. It's us coming to God in humble submission and then Him working through us. Again, anything of value that we do for God is simply a result or an overflow of what He's doing in us. And so... If this is what we're to do, we need to get to know Jesus. If our life is just an overflow of Jesus' life, if the life we live now is simply his life lived through us, then how did he live his life? Look at Luke 4, verses 42 and 43. Because here we see some things in Jesus' life, and Jesus lays out his mission, his ambition, which should be ours. So Luke 4, 42. And when it was day, he departed, and he went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. What did Jesus say his mission was right here? He says it's to preach to the other cities as well. He must preach the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. They were going to keep him there. He would have had a really good congregation, a good crowd. If that's what he was going for, he would have had it if he stayed right there. But he said, that's not what my life is about. I must go and preach to others. What's our great commission that he gave us? Go make disciples. Jesus' last words, some of his last words before he left, he said, go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And lo, remember, I'm with you always. So he gave us this great commission. We say it this way. It's outside on our board. But our mission is to expand the kingdom of God in our lives and the world around us. Meaning we are growing in him. We are pursuing him, and we're growing. And then we are bringing others into that relationship. So here's life, knowing God and making him known. It's that simple. That's our mission. And that was Jesus' mission. Picture with me, we have a, a boat here. Imagine 
going up to Alaska, when I was graduating from college, I, I had two options. I wanted to either move to Russia for an adventure or go to Alaska on a fishing boat. Um, Alaska didn't work, but that would have been fun. But imagine you're up there in Alaska, and you're walking down the dock, and you come across this boat sitting there, and, and all the crews, they're working hard. You know, they're polishing, they're mending nets, they're doing all the things that they need to do. They're changing the oil. And you walk up, you say, hey, how's the fishing? Uh, we don't know. Well, what do you mean? Well, we don't, we don't fish. <laughs> We're on this fishing boat. No, we don't want to leave the dock. We like it right here. It doesn't make sense, right? A fishing boat that the crew goes, and they do all the work, but they don't actually shove off from the dock. They don't go do what the boat is made to do. Not only does it not make sense, that would get really boring. But I think there's a, a similar picture with the church and with our lives a lot of times of we are made, the church was given for the world. The church was given to make a difference in the world. But when the church just sits in the dock, it gets boring and it gets really inward focused. And well, let's just, since we're on this boat in the dock, let's just change the paint again. <laughs> Let's repaint. What else is there to do? And focused in, and it gets boring because we're lacking the mission. We're missing out on what God has called us to do. Similar to a fishing boat that doesn't fish, a disciple maker that doesn't make disciples, it doesn't line up. Or a Jesus follower who doesn't actually follow Jesus, it doesn't line up. The reason we're talking about this is my passion is to see all of us growing in Christ. I want to see you walking with him and experiencing all God has for you. And part of that is God using you in others' lives. So real quick, define. We say our, our mission, our job is to make disciples. What is a disciple? What is a disciple? Raise your hand if you have a really good definition. There you go. You got the... <laughs> Matt said, someone who gives up all to follow the teaching of another. That's really good. <laughs> that was cheating. Anybody else, what would you add to a definition of a disciple? Well, that's good. He said, gives up all. So surrenders all. My life down to follow. A disciple is a follower. And I would add one part. A disciple is a lifelong learner. We don't arrive. If you meet a Christian who's arrived, don't listen to them because <laughs> they don't get it. We never arrive. That should be very freeing for us. You know, I'm free to admit my faults because I haven't arrived yet. I'm going to stumble, but I'm a learner. Remember, when we began this series, we said that we are yoked to Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's the life of a disciple, learning from Jesus. Jesus carries the load. So this is what we're trying to make. Disciple makers, people who follow, people who learn, people who pattern their life after Jesus. We're not trying to create churchgoers. Going to church is great. I'm glad you guys are here. And I think we're supposed to do this. But our job isn't just to create a big building, an attractive place with great music, where a lot of people just come and sit, build a crowd. You know, if you notice, Jesus had a crowd. That wasn't what he was going for. He was going for life change. And that's what we're going for. That was Jesus' consuming ambition. Is it yours? Is it yours? His mission. Look back at these verses with me. And look at his mission. What did he say in verse 43? But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And elsewhere we see it phrased differently, but part of it is go make disciples. Uh, if you're familiar with George Barna, 
he does polling, and he does it for the Christian community mainly, but George Barna did a poll. He did a study, and he, he called, or I don't know how he does his stuff, sends it out, but he studied head pastors, and he asked them this one question, how is the, this is North America, how is the North American church doing at making disciples? Our primary mission, he asked head pastors, how is the church doing? He said, are we being effective, was how he phrased it. Is the American church being effective at making disciples? Less than 1% of American head pastors said we're being effective. Less than 1%. That's staggering. And that's from the people responsible for, for leading the charge, really. But less than 1% of head pastors in North America think we're actually doing a good job at doing our primary mission. Now, our job isn't to feel guilty. I hope this is inspiring. To be honest, it's inspiring. We have, we can only go up. <laughs> we can only get better, really, here in North America. We can only get better. But the first thing we have to realize, because we talk about mission a lot here, and, and we want to engage in the mission, we want to change the city, but the one thing we have to hit first is to recognize it's not what we do for God. Because we can, we can always take the mission the wrong way, and it can become legalism. We go do. But let's look at this passage, and what was Jesus doing First, verse 42, and when it was day, actually, let's look before that real quick. Verse 40, this sets the scene. This was the day before. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed, and he went into a desolate place, and the people sought him. So the, the picture, and we get more from Mark, too. We see more of this. It was an all-night, it looks like an all-night healing session, because the day before was the Sabbath. This is one of those where Jesus didn't heal on the Sabbath. He waited till the sun went down. So it was Saturday night. The sun goes down. Everybody leaves their house, and they come to find Jesus. And he spends all night healing people casting out demons. The next day, he goes out to a desolate place. Why did he go out to a desolate place? Any ideas? Somebody said it, to pray. Mark tells us he went to a desolate place to pray. What I would normally do after a, an all-night healing session, if I could do that, <laughs> I'd go to bed. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus said, I need to go spend time with the Father. So he went out to a desolate place by himself. He made it a priority. He went and he sought the Father. Intimate relationship with the Father. This is in your notes. Jesus' better way begins with us aggressively pursuing intimacy with the Father. The life of Jesus was dependent on an intimate relationship with the Father as priority. As priority. Jesus was seeking the Father. And then when the people came to him, he was in his right mind. I mean, you could argue Jesus was always in his right mind, but his mind was right. He was focused on what God would have him do because he goes on and they're trying to make him stay. Stay with us, stay with us. He said, no, I have to go because the Father has sent me to. I think, here's what I think. I think he spent time with the Father in prayer. And as he did that, his heart was stirred. The Father was communicating to him, go, there's more out there for you. Go fishing. I got more. You, you got a bunch of towns to hit before you're done, before your time is up and you give your life in Jerusalem. You need to hit these towns too. And he, he okay, I gotta go. I gotta go. Because he was sent for that purpose, he said. 
And in 43, he outlines his mission. And I want, I want you to notice some of the words he uses. He said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent to this purpose, for this purpose. How did he view his mission to preach? Was it optional? He said, I must, I must preach to the other cities as well. If we pattern our lives after Jesus, is that the way we feel? Because that was Jesus' life. Jesus' life was, there are people out there who don't know the Father. I must tell them. Is that the way you feel? As I look at my life, I often have not felt that way. But Jesus' mission was, I must, I must preach the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom to the other nations, or to the other cities. I must. Again, this is in your notes. Preaching the good news of the kingdom was not optional according to Jesus. It is what the Father sent him to do. Now again, because Jesus lives his life in and through us, for us, it's also not optional. Because you may say, well, Derek, that was Jesus. We're not Jesus. That's true. But in John 20, 21, Jesus says this, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. The Father sent Jesus on a mission. Jesus sent us on the same mission. A disciple is one who would pattern their life after the one they were following. We pattern our lives after Jesus. And so we must. Last year, I did a little research. I think I've shared this before. Most of you have probably heard it. But I called all the churches in the areas, as many as I could get a hold of. And I, I kind of tabulated and I looked at, at how many people live here. And what I found by calling was that 93% of Carson City, 93% of the residents do not attend church. 93%. In Douglas, it's 90%. 90% do not attend. So here's, here's the numbers if this helps you at all. In Carson City, there's 55,000 people as of the 2013 study. Um, there's probably more than that. But if we just use that number, 55,000 people. 51,000 people in Carson City are going to spend eternity separated from God. 51,000. Picture it this way. As you're walking and you come across 10 people, Nine out of those 10, roughly, are going to spend eternity apart from God. Do you feel that at all? <laughs> I do. I do. I feel that. In Douglas County, it's, it's 90%. Uh, 90, yeah, 90%. So there's 7%, sorry, 7% here attend, 10% there attend. So th it's the same idea there. Douglas County, 47,000 people live. 42,000 people in Douglas County will spend eternity separated from God. Everybody will live for eternity. Everybody. But where? With God or in a place that the Bible calls hell? It's a very real place. So add up the numbers. 98,000 people. 98,000 people in our direct area do not have a relationship with God. 98,000. That's a lot. Here was my thinking. My thinking at the time was there's tons of churches. We have plenty of churches around. The churches need to get their butts moving and we need to get going. And, but there's a lot of churches. Well, I started doing that research. The average American church size is 85 people. 85, so we're about average right now. We're about average for the American church. And most never go beyond that. That's it. And so I started doing that math and I went, oh my goodness, we need a lot more churches. <laughs> A lot more churches. So Common Ground Carson isn't going to do it on its own. We are not the answer, just so you know. 
The Holy Spirit's the answer. Jesus is the answer. We're one of his tools. That gives me chills. And I hope we're really a good tool, a useful tool in his hand, but it's going to take many more churches. So he, he stirred this in me. Okay, do the research and look. We need more churches. So Callie and I, as we were talking and praying, is this what God's leading us to do? And she made the comment one day. She said, we must. <laughs> Basically, she said what Jesus said. She said, if we don't, we're disobedient. So well, I guess we have to then. We don't have a choice. God is calling us to it. But now I have to tell you, one of the things that God has really stirred on me since we began this process is, oh my goodness, I can't do it. I can't do it. And it's become very, very real. This truth that we talk about, that anything of value we do is simply an overflow of what Jesus is doing through us. My prayer life this year has been better than it ever has been in my whole life. And I still have a long way to go because I am so dependent on him. That's where we need to stay. Jesus God in flesh was dependent on the Father. Us too. Us too. Here was kind of the, the subtitle of this message. Is, is Jesus' consuming ambition your consuming ambition? Jesus' mission is to be our consuming ambition. It kind of rhymes. But Jesus' mission is to be our consuming ambition. Consuming. And I put that word in there on purpose. Kind of like a fire, Right? that consumes and engulfs? Are we engulfed by his mission, our heart? Look here at what he preaches. I want to touch on this, and I want to spend a lot of time on this, but he goes to preach the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The good news of the kingdom. Is there a difference between the good news of the kingdom and the good news of salvation? That could be a trick question. Don't answer it. <laughs> You'll trap yourself. I think there is. Now, the gospel of salvation is Jesus died for you, believe in him. And that's true. Absolutely, that's true. That we are saved by grace alone, nothing that we do. But so often we stop there. So often the gospel becomes good news for you and only you. But the gospel of the kingdom is much greater than just you because it's no longer about you just being saved and now, woo, I have my fire insurance. I'm not going to hell. You might be, but I'm not. It's not just about you. It's about you then joining the kingdom and becoming part of something greater. I mean, not just something greater. The only greater thing there is, his kingdom. And what is the kingdom of God? Anybody have a really good definition? Matt? <laughs> Somebody called you the teacher's pet, so I'm just going to define the kingdom. That's good. Matt said it's the ruling and the governance of Jesus Christ on earth. That's right. So the kingdom is made up of Christians. It's made up of those who follow Jesus. Here's a definition. The kingdom of God is God's sovereign activity in the world, resulting in people being in right relationship with him. That's the kingdom. Making disciples is our mission, to bring people to him, to grow in him. Our mission here, we say, is to expand the kingdom of God in our lives and the world around us. Because if Jesus is the king in our lives, how does that expand? It means he gets more and more control over us. There's less and less of me, more and more of him. That's how we want to live. And that's the kingdom. The kingdom is ever expanding. I, I want you to look, if you want to turn there, Revelation 5, or I think it's going to pop up here. Revelation 5, 9 and 10 says this. There it is. <laughs> no, you're good. It says this. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, 
For you were slain, this is a song to Jesus, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Listen to this part. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. In the New Testament, there are over a hundred references to the kingdom. Over a hundred. I think that's a big deal. Two-thirds of all the books in the New Testament refer to the kingdom. They talk about the kingdom. Here's a, a little hint as you're reading the Bible. There are certain themes that are drawn throughout. Pay attention to those themes. One of those themes is the kingdom. And it is that we are saved through grace by the blood of Christ, but it's that then we are brought into a kingdom. And our mission is to expand that kingdom. Our mission, we are ambassadors. What it says there in Revelation is that we are priests. Do you realize you're a priest? Okay, now we're getting weird. But what does a priest do? In any religion, what does a priest do? It mediates between God and people. That's what a priest always would do. Well, now you are a priest, which means you have direct access to God. You can now mediate him with others. So are you praying for others to come to him? Because God listens to you because of the blood of Jesus. This is our mission, to draw people to, to him, to be ambassadors. That's referred to, Paul talks about we are ambassadors because we are sent from a kingdom. We are not citizens of earth. We are citizens of God's kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. We are here temporarily. You are aliens and strangers with a mission. I mean, imagine an ambassador, I was in Russia at the embassy for a while. Imagine an ambassador there that just didn't want to deal with the Russians. <laughs> I'm the U.S. ambassador, but I'm not going to go meet with any of the, the Russian government. I'm just going to stay here and hang out with these Americans. Well, that's not what they're called to do. Here is our ambition, or here's our mission, which should be our consuming ambition. Now, I want to point one thing out. Because this is Jesus' consuming ambition, it should be ours. And it shouldn't be a to-do. I hope this makes sense. I, uh, I'm going to do my best to describe this. It should not be another event. It should not be another thing that we, we have to do as we're Christian. Well, we do this, 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 and then we also do mission. Uh, in church, we, a lot of times we call it outreach. So we'll also do outreach. It should stem from who you are at your heart. The more time you spend with me, with, not with me, the more time you spend with somebody, the more you become like that person. Have you ever met a, a couple that's been married a long time? And you're like, wow, you guys are a lot alike. It's just one of those things that, that happens as you're together a lot. Callie and I, when we first got married, um, I had a rude awakening. I loved to read. And so every night, that's just what I did. I would read. And so I'd get my book and I'd read. And it was after a little couple weeks of us being married, or maybe it was after one week, and she said, I wish you wouldn't read so much. <laughs> Why not? I want to be together. You're sitting right next to me. <laughs> I'm reading. You're here. Here, here's a good book. Read this one. <laughs> I don't want to. Okay, then for me, we were together. For her, I was in my book. I wasn't with her at all. And so for me, I had to adjust a little bit and go, okay, because I love you, I'll spend time with you. Because for her, she wanted to do something together, whether it's talking, whether it's me reading out loud to her, whether it's watching a show together. She wanted to experience something together, relational. Go figure. <laughs> so I acquiesced because I loved her. Well, now that we've been married for 13 years, yes. <laughs> now that we've been married for 13 years, almost 14 I think, almost, uh, she's rolling, she doesn't know either. Okay, but now I share that feeling. 
Now, in the evening, when the kids go to bed, if possible, I would like to spend time with her sharing something. You know, we watch TV shows at night. We'll watch a half of one before we fall asleep. But we experience something together. And so I get that. Now, I want that too. I want to be with her, experience something together. She doesn't have to tell me to put my book down. That's who I am. Now, because we are followers of Jesus, we should be spending time with Jesus, pursuing the Father. We're going to become like him. What is on his heart is just going to rub off on us and become part of our heart. Here's the application for that. If God's mission is not on your heart, how's your time with him? Are you spending the time with him for his heart to rub off on your heart? But I, look at Revelation again. Put that one back up if you would. I want you to notice a couple things about that in addition to what Jesus said was his mission. It is from every, uh, by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. From every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus said, I must go to the other cities as well. The kingdom is ever expanding. Remember Acts 1.8. We've taught on that. But you will receive power, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Ever expanding out. Oh, it's right there. Look at that. So this is the kingdom. It's supposed to go. It's supposed to expand. The Great Commission is go make disciples of all nations. Go. Now, I've heard it taught, and it's accurate to the scripture that that go is as you go. But I've heard it warped to mean you don't have to try. <laughs> you don't have to make it a priority. Just as you go, just be Jesus. You don't have to actually tell anybody about Jesus. Just be Jesus and they'll see it in your life. No, go and use words. But I'll be honest, if we are going to be true to the mission, some of us are going to have to go. Some of us here, as we rub up against Jesus and his heart rubs off on yours, you're going to come up to me one day and you're like, I can't help it. I got to go. Where are you going to go? I, I don't know yet. Or you know where. Well, I have to go to Africa. I have to go to North Carson. I have to go somewhere to help carry out the kingdom mission. We're going to be sending missionaries out. We're going to be participating in foreign missions. We're going to be planting churches. At the same time, we are going to be going to our homes, to our neighborhoods, to our workplaces. So if you're not called to go do one of those things, you don't feel guilty because you're not as important. You are called. <laughs> you are called to go where you are. If you're a mom, you've got a big mission. If you're a dad, you've got a big mission. But we go, and we are very intentional about our going. This is in your notes. The kingdom of God is diverse and is continually expanding outward. We should be ambitious about the, the kingdom going. We should never be content with just a holy huddle. Does that make sense? The church can become that, and outpost groups, small groups, most churches call them, can become that, just holy huddles where we really like being together. But we won't experience all God has for us until we engage this mission. John Piper wrote about this, and he talked about how God's mission, Jesus' mission to expand the kingdom, to draw many to him, it's not going to fail. In fact, it's already done. <laughs> all the Yeah, Amen. All the work is done. So the question isn't, is God going to succeed? Because he already has. The question is, are you going to participate in it? Are you going to get to be part of it? Are we going to get to be part of it? That's the question. And so that's the question we need to answer. Are we willing to be part of it? Are we part of it? You know, like a fishing boat that doesn't fish is pointless. A Christian that's not engaged in God's mission is kind of pointless. 
we might as well just be raptured now. We might as well go. And again, I don't want us to feel guilty, but I hope we are inspired to go, there is something more. Church isn't to be boring. This should be exciting. This is, you know, I like to talk about church being the, the pep talk before the game, right? If you've ever played a sport, football or whatever, you know, the, the fired up part is where you get in the locker room right before and somebody gives this rousing speech and then you all go out to, to play your sport. Well, that's this. This is where we, we go over our game plan. You know, we look at what the coach has to tell us, God. Our leader has to tell us. We meet with him, and then we go, because the game is out there. The life is out there. But this is an important part of it. But we need to engage the mission. And again, it is Jesus in us. I was listening to um, Hope Church, down where we got our training. I, I was listening to him teach on the mission. And he asked the question, Vance Pittman asked the question. He said, what is the greatest hindrance to the mission? And my quick response was apathy. Apathy. I, I, you know, that's what I thought. Our greatest hindrance is apathy, meaning Christians just, eh, we're content just doing what we're doing. But he said it much more bluntly. He said, the selfishness of believers. I went, oh, that's kind of the same thing, but that's worse. But as I look at my own life, it's true. It's true. It's my selfishness that gets in the way of God doing great things through me because of the things I want because of how lazy I am or whatever it is. It's our selfishness, the things we want. Again, we've talked about this, consumer Christianity. Well, I'm gonna go to this church because it feeds me, because I like the music or whatever. Or do we go and we find a church where we can engage, where God wants to use us in the mission? And for most of us right now, that's here. But for some of us, that might not be this body. God may ask you to do this somewhere else. That's great. But are we going to a church to engage in the mission, to be part of it, to go? Or are we selfish and we're looking for a place that gives us our needs? You know, our coffee here is not very good. It's Folgers. <laughs> so if you're coming here for the coffee, you should go somewhere else where they buy like Starbucks. They have the money. I just say that just to, what's the point? Is it about you? Is it about you? Look at your, your own life. Because I look at mine and yeah, there's, there's selfishness there. I could do better. But the way I do that is, you know what? I need to spend more time with Jesus. <laughs> I need to get to know him better. And it rubs off and we go. This is uh, in your notes, just kind of the application. It says this, when Jesus' mission becomes this church's consuming ambition, we will regularly be sending people away as missionaries, as church planters, and just as important into key centers of culture here as missionaries at work in the home and in neighborhoods. And then I just put these questions. Are you aggressively pursuing intimacy with the Father? And then what initiative might the Holy Spirit be asking you to take in order to expand his kingdom? What initiative would God have you take? Not told to do, but you. God has put you somewhere he hasn't put me or others. What does God have you to do? You know, are you going to Cal Baptist where there's a lot of people that need Jesus? I was talking to Connor. Better than Azusa. Let me pray. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you, first of all, that it is finished. I want to thank you that people's salvation is not dependent on me. Um, thank you, Jesus, for doing all the work. But thank you for including us as well. Thank you for allowing us to participate in this exciting mission. Father, I do ask um, 
that you would send your Holy Spirit into this community, into our friends and family members, that you would stir their hearts toward you and that we would be there at just the right time, that we would just be another tool in your tool belt to use for you individually and corporately, that Common Ground would be a tool that you can use for your kingdom. It's all about you. And I'm so excited, God, for what's going to come. I'm excited right now to be part of that kingdom where you reign and rule perfectly. But I can't wait until we get new bodies where sin is done away with. So let your kingdom come. Let that time come soon. But until then, let us be about your work for your glory. Holy Spirit, Speak to each of us individually. What do we need to adjust? Is it simply a state of mind? Is there an action that you've already been stirring in us to take? We need to just be bold and do it. But God, it's you in us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.